I think if you ask most salespeople or read most books on selling or, or most training programs, the objective is to sell more, to make more sales. Well, unfortunately, all kinds of research indicates that by and large, for the most part, most customers don't trust most sellers. And you would think that sellers would figure that out, but they haven't. And I think the main reason is because their goal is to collect money from the, from the customer. Hey, welcome back to Stop Killing Deals. We will be talking about trust again. This is the follow-up episode on the one we had with Kirk Kinnell, the hostage negotiator. And we will today be talking to Charles H. Green on the topic of trust in sales and leadership specifically. Charles is passionate about crafting insights and ideas in ways that are memorable and that allow people to change. He has helped hundreds of companies and is a very sought after keynote speaker. In his best-selling book, The Trusted Advisor, he shares ideas, concepts, and practical advice on how to build trust in commercial relationships. It's a must read for anyone in business, I'd say. Without further ado, welcome, Charles. Thank you very much, pleasure to be here. Great to have you on the show. And as you know, last time around, we talked to Kirk Kinnell uh, on the topic of trust in uh, hostage negotiation. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm sure you, you saw some clips of it. I, I saw the whole thing. Loved it. Oh, beautiful. Great to hear that. So the idea here is I'm, I'm hoping to learn from you uh, how this now relates back to sales. And um, I guess the first question, maybe we can start off with, what's your definition of, of trust? <clears throat> well, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, the, uh, basically, I would say trust is a form of relationship between two human beings. Uh -huh. And other things in that category would be like love or friendship. Um, one of the things that differentiates trust is that it's asynchronous, like friendship, you know, I like you, you like me, those are pretty much the same thing. Uh -huh. But in trust, there's a trustor and a trustee. The trustor is the person who takes a risk on trusting the other person. The trustee mm -hmm. is the person who is either trustworthy or not. And if those two connect, then the level of trust as a result goes up. And uh, another point is you have to be able to change roles. You can't just be trustworthy. Occasionally, right. you have to trust also. Otherwise, the other person will say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm always the one taking the risk here. That's not fair. So I don't trust you after all. Hmm. So that now there are other definitions of trust, institutional trust, organizational trust. Those have become much more in the news recently. I would argue those are better considered forms of like branding or uh, image creation. They're weaker. They're real. They're relevant. But it's not what I have focused on. I focused on the stronger form of trust, which is one-on-one -on -one interpersonal. Mm. And you said trustworthiness. Yes. Could could you elaborate on that a bit? Yes, yeah, sure. Again, again, there are two sides. There's the trustor and the trustee. The yeah. way to think about the trustee is the trustworthiness. And in, in my book, The Trusted Advisor, 20 years ago, we presented this idea of the trust equation to break it down and to say there are mm -hmm. four components of trustworthiness that we can think of intellectually. And those are uh, the equation is C plus R plus I over S credibility mm -hmm. plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self orientation. Uh, credibility is basically expertise and competence. 
Yeah. Uh, reliability is repeatable, dependable, um, you know, around actions. Mm-hmm. Intimacy is very different. That's sort of, do I feel safe and secure sharing information with you? Those right. three are positive virtues, if you will, higher numbers, uh, increased trustworthiness. In the denominator, which goes the other way, self-orientation, like high self-orientation is bad. That reduces trustworthiness. Right. And self-orientation is either pure selfishness, uh-huh. greed, which is not that hard to spot and not that much of an issue in business. The much more common one is neurotic self-obsession, always worrying about what's going on in our head. You know, am I going to yeah. get failed? Do they like me? How come she's looking at me? How come nobody's looking at me? Yeah. A thousand and one things like the hamster on the wheel that keep mm-hmm. us separated from the person in front of us. So yeah. those four factors, two of them are sort of rational behavioral, credibility, reliability. You mm-hmm. can develop metrics for them. You can develop, uh, you know, a training modules, behavioral indicators. The other two, I, I like to call emotional, uh, the intimacy and the self-orientation. And, and those, yeah. are, those have to be managed in very different ways because they're unique to the two people and to the instance in which they are meeting. Mm-hmm. So there's a quick. So I, I love the formula, and and, and right. one thing when I read it, I stumble a bit on the intimacy bit when it comes to yep. business, right? Yep. So how do we, how would you sort of define intimacy in a business relationship between two yeah. a seller and a buyer? Question, because it turns out that is actually the most powerful of the four factors when we ran right. some analysis on it. I define it again as uh, do I, as the customer, feel comfortable sharing things with you? Or do I have to feel guarded or formal, uh, right. professional? Uh, so the extent to which I feel comfortable um, talking with you as a human being, as right. opposed to an institutional representative or, mm. or an expert or, or a credentialized individual, it's, it's ease and, and comfort. And it overlaps with concepts like emotional intelligence, vulnerability, yeah. Um, uh, there's a rapport, little maybe rapport. I come rapport, to think, of yeah, rapport is is a very um, uh, polite, comfortable, low level way of talking about it. It goes deeper than just rapport. But yes, that's that's not a terrible synonym. <laughs> Interesting. And, and another another thing that I that comes to mind when I look at the formula is uh, risk. Oh yeah. How, how because risk is not in the formula. Correct. That's right. And it, it, but it does show up. First of all, risk is the defining characteristic of the trustor role. You, you have to take a risk to trust somebody. If there's no risk, it's not trust. Um, and you may remember uh, Ronald Reagan uh, borrowed this old Russian proverb, trust but verify. Well, if you have to verify, it's not trust. There's no risk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's on the trusting side. On the trustworthy side, I think you also find risk. And again, as you noted, mostly within the intimacy area. Mm. So uh, if you're if you're constantly guarded or being careful never to cross a line or watch what you say, then you know you're not taking a risk, and that's going to creep through to the other person. Mm. They're going to feel that. It's very interesting. And, and maybe before we move on, we should maybe define sales i mean what how would how would you sort of what's the objective of sale, selling oh what a good question thank you um i think if you ask most salespeople or read most books on selling or or most training programs the objective is to you know get the other party to give you money in return for some goods or service 
uh-huh. and and the um, you know the managerial performative goal of selling is to get better at selling, to to sell more, to make more sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you you know just semi-consciously ask that question, those are the answers you'll get. What are you trying to do? Is sell more. Right. Well, unfortunately. Um, that definition of sales has built into it right at the level of objectives an oppositional relationship between the seller and, and the customer or the client. Yeah. And uh, we mentioned Andy Paul. Andy was telling me just the other day, all kinds of research indicates that by and large, for the most part, most customers don't trust most sellers. Yeah. That's not new data. That's been around forever. Yeah. And you would think that sellers would figure that out. Mm-hmm. But they haven't. And I think the main reason is because their goal is to collect money from the uh, from the customer. Uh, the more obvious goal would be to help the customer, period, whether or not you get the sale. Mm-hmm. And paradoxically, if you were to approach the sales relationship from that perspective, detach it from the outcome, the outcome actually increases. You get better. You get more sales by behaving yeah. in a totally client-focused kind of a manner. But it, yeah, so, it makes sense if you look at the formula, though. I mean, self-orientation that's right. is reduced, right? That's exactly right. And, and you know, all of them are reduced, really. If you think, well, how would I actually focus on helping the customer? Well, I would never tell lies. I would make sure that, that mm-hmm. I am doing all things in their best interest, not mine. I would be open, transparent. I would be willing to take risks. I would be dependable. I'd be conscious of the track record that I'm developing. So all four components of the trust equation get touched if you flip your objectives that way. Well, the quick answer is no, you can't. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some ways in which you can help it. But fundamentally, I believe, and I'm not the only one, but but, um, it's a small group, you can't systematize it because it is a human relationship. Go back to the, you know, the definition of, uh, of, of trust here. It's, it's a form of relationship between two yeah. human beings. Mm-hmm. And anything that is systematized and turned into a process and measured carefully by analytics and consciously defined behaviors is going to feel terribly inauthentic. Yeah. Oh, so I don't, you, you can't run a, a relationship on the, I mean, imagine, take another relationship, a romantic relationship, you know, yeah. you might go, go back to being a teenager, for example. Yeah. If you tried, you know, to have a successful relationship with, uh, you know, an intended romantic partner by checking the boxes on some kind of system and going to step A, step B, it would not work. Uh, and the other person may or may not be able to explain why it doesn't work, but they could tell you how it feels. You're treating me like an object. You're you're subjecting me to some yeah. weird intellectual process, and I don't like that. <laughs> Nor do customers. You know who would? Yeah, yeah. But I guess from an organizational perspective, how, yeah. how do we then measure what types of relationships we are building or our people are building? Are right. we building trust? Are we creating? Are we being trustworthy? Well, first of all, let me let me take issue with the question. How do we measure? It's a question that gets asked way too often in this mm-hmm. business world. It is not the most important question. Right. One of the biggest management myths out there, I'll put a point of view out here. Yeah, sure. The phrase, <laughs> if you can't me- measure it, you can't manage it. That's ridiculous. Of course, mm-hmm. there are a thousand ways in which you could manage without measurements. Mm-hmm. Measurement is overrated. I think it's come about, and this isn't just sales. This is management in general. Yeah, yeah. Now the, the big two mantras in management overall are, are measurements and processes. Yep. And uh, you've seen this, I'm sure. All the email that I get, totally uninvited. People are using all these great analytical tools out there to do a great job of targeting. 
and they forget, they don't do a, they do a terrible job at customizing. So you get these yeah. form letters advertising how to come up with better form letters <laughs> to send out to people and you know, you customize your your introductory paragraph. Well, it's obvious when it's done that way. Yeah. And and then they always end by saying, Would you click on my calendar here to schedule a phone call? Hell no. <laughs> That's exactly who I do not want to have a phone call with. That is not what yeah. you lead with. Yeah. So sorry for going on a bit of a rant there. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I really like what you said about the uh, the objectives of selling, right? Yeah. We, are, we should be thinking about this, the uh, um, not the other way around, because I'm sure selling organizations want to help customers. But I think yeah. in the minds of many, it's it, it's a mind shift that needs to happen, that your main and, focus should be to help. That's right. And I'll tell you what, the acid test, uh, the acid test of if you're doing it right is, would you be willing to recommend a competitor if that were better for the, the customer? If I can share a quick vignette. Um, mm -hmm. Years ago, I, I remember uh, I worked for a consulting firm. The head of our financial services practice was was uh, acquaintances with the head of the financial services practice at McKinsey. They knew each other professionally. Mm -hmm. And one day, our guy, his name was Bill, got a phone call from the, the 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 head at McKinsey of the financial services practice, and he said to Howard uh, to Bill, um, "Listen, I have a I have a problem. We have a very important New York City major center bank." We started a project with them and suddenly everything went wrong. You know, personality conflicts, misunderstanding. Yeah. So we stopped, restarted. And again, unfortunately, some problems have emerged and we're going to have to shut that down. We cannot afford to have three losses in a row. Therefore, I'm calling you, Bill, my friend, to ask whether you would go into our client and do this very important piece of work. Mm -hmm. Well, Bill had never heard anything like that. Of course, he said, sure, you know, we'll be happy to help you out. And he went in and they did the work. And afterwards, he went to the client and said, listen, now you've seen our kind of people and how good we are, what kind of work we did. Could we talk about some more? Uh -huh. And the client said, Bill, you guys were great. I know you came in under pressure and you did a wonderful job. Your people are great. But I got to tell you, we would never leave McKinsey because they were big enough to bring you in. <laughs> and there you go. I mean, exactly. What see And there's a lot of paradoxes in trust. And this is a great one. What would seem like a suicidal gesture, you know, opening the door and bring in uh, a competitor turns out to be received as the greatest sign of client devotion that you can imagine. And hmm. it, it works, right? It may, that story rings true. It is true, first of all. Um, and, and you can imagine many others like that. Um, a, a variation on the theme is the, the, the uh, resistance that salespeople have to saying, I don't know. Uh -huh. they, they just hate those words. But when yeah. you think about it, it's about the most trust creating thing you can say. I don't know who's going to doubt you when you say that yeah. nobody, which means it's highly credibility enhancing. And yet people follow over them. So, well, I don't know exactly. We have a little bit of that. I can get that for you. Blah, 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 blah. That's not the point. The point is, are you willing to tell the truth mm -hmm. or not? But it's interesting with the uh, McKinsey example there, because uh, I, I could question their their intent. I mean, it sounds like they brought him in when they were about to lose the client. So maybe the motivation was not to lose the client rather than do. What well, it's a fair question. At some uh, one of the former managing directors or managing partners at Goldman Sachs years ago had a great saying. He said, we are long term selfish, meaning, yeah, we're in it to make money. You know, but in the long way, long run, the best right. way to do that is for our interests and our clients' interests to coincide. It may not coincide at every point along the way, 
But yeah. in the long run, if we do focus on that client, we will also end up much more wealthy. So yeah. at that point, I don't view it as a contradiction. I think that, you know, the time frame question. And by the way, the default approach of modern management, and I speak this as a Harvard MBA from years ago, um, both in sales and more broadly, is to break things down, to detail them, to, to break mm -hmm. them into pieces and therefore manage all the little pieces that come along. Yeah. Um, the Excel spreadsheet is one of the most dramatic inventions, you know, of our time because suddenly yeah. you can analyze everything. Uh -huh. And because you can do that, we think, oh, well, maybe I should. Well, yeah. no. I mean, there's nothing wrong with metrics and measurements. What's wrong is using them to drive very micro short-term behavior uh -huh. and to lose track of the fact that the best short-term results do not come about by slavishly following quarterly objectives. They come about by continually behaving according to long-term values and principles. That's what impresses clients. And that shows up not just in the long-term, but in the short-term. It doesn't take long for clients to say, wow, I really trust these people. The next job I have, which may be in a month or three months, I'm gonna go with them. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And, and uh, Kirk, in the previous episode on hostage negotiations, yeah. one of the things he said when, when they really need to get uh, the, or become trustworthy, uh, yep. They um, they promised to do simple things like yeah. bring bring water, bring food, right, right. And, and do that quickly and, and, and reliably. Exactly. And that's yeah. how they sort of started a relationship of trust. And as you pointed out, that's under extreme time pressure. And he's absolutely right. I often say one of the easiest ways to create trust is make a lot of promises and keep them. They yes. don't have to be big promises. Bring water, little stuff. You right. quickly develop a track record. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, let's go back to management. If you look at sales management, I believe we have a great leverage there. I think too many managers have not been trained well right. enough to be sales managers. They got the promotion because they were good performers. Exactly. Uh, and they might also have um, that sort of mindset um, problem that we talked about, that they believe that their job is, in, is to make the number right. uh, rather than helping clients. So how would you, um, or what have you seen, I guess, in the relationship between a sales manager and a sales person uh, where trust is really important or where trust is eroded or, or, or where trust becomes a problem? Uh, well, it, it, the, the, the relationship between sales managers and salespeople is not something I'm really an expert in, but, I, but it's, a form of, it's another form of relationship that you yeah. know, I see all the time. I, I guess I would say two things, number one, the, the relationship, like any interpersonal relationship, is subject to the same rules around trust. So role modeling the right behavior is, is critical. Mm. Uh, that's true, I think, for any managerial relationship, but especially trust, because hypocrisy becomes a real issue if you don't do what you're suggesting other people do. So one, it's role modeling. Yep. And the other one I mentioned before, in, in, the, in that trust equation, the most powerful component turns out to be Intimacy. Well, in so many businesses, the ones that I work with, like professional services and B2B mm -hmm. sales, yeah. you attract people who are technicians, who are default, you know, overschooled yeah. on the rational side of things. They're they're numerate, uh, but they're emotionally illiterate. Right. And um, so I think that, you know, you, you have to show salespeople how to do this trust thing and you have to do it with them and you have to make sure that they see you doing it with other people. Yeah, I, I get back to the thought of of um, 
sort of scaling this or and, yeah. I, and I understand that we we need to base it on on a strategy we need to base it on on a mindset of of focusing on the client first yeah um and being i guess a tech guy i i i uh, my mind brings me back to yeah. to to how do we how do we scale this that's uh, that is a really good question because um as you know the default approaches to scaling involve a whole lot of uh, uh, competency modeling and metrics and feedback loops and so forth, which work for things like credibility and reliability. They work just fine, just as well yeah. as they do looking at a, a supply chain. Yeah. They do not work for intimacy and low self-orientation. Right. They just don't because every, I mean, wow is a full sentence. And it changes by the amount of body language that you put into it. It changes by who you're talking to. And it changes by the moment that you're having with the other person. You can't describe behaviors well enough. There's an infinite uh, and infinitely expandable number of behaviors. Yet you get kind of a Heisenberg principle problem. If you start to measure, uh, uh, if you set up a system that says um, you should behave unselfishly. And if you do so, we'll give you more money. Uh-huh. Well, that's that's crazy. So you need an entirely different approach to scaling when it comes yeah. to those variables, which are the most important ones. And I think it comes back to role modeling, storytelling. Um, you can you can consciously look at people in your organization and say, who are the big influencers? Because I should get the top three. Really make sure they're on board first. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a way of scaling. But it's got to be spreading the gospel, so to speak. And uh, um, inculcating people with a values-based approach or a mindset-based approach. And um, honestly, when people say, well, how do you know it if you're not measuring it? This is the kind of thing that you know in your bones. In all the workshops I do, I'll ask people, how many of you saw that little video clip as, mm-hmm. as a really good behavior? And they all say really good or they all say really bad. Everybody sees right. it the same way. Yeah. So this notion that we have to have metrics to prove it or diagnose it, I just, I don't buy that anymore. Now, I, I understand what you're saying, but if you're the leader and you have hundreds of salespeople and, and, and a bunch of managers, how, how will you, you can't sit in on all the, the meetings uh, that, it, that are going on. So you need to sort right. of somehow aggregate what's going on. Well, I'll give you a quick vignette. I happen to be sitting in the back of the room when, um, at a big top level meeting at Accenture when Bill Green, no relationship to me, was the CEO. Mm-hmm. And he's just been describing a new organization that were rolling out globally. And somebody raised, raised their hand a question that said, Bill, have you yet lined up the incentive structures so that if my friend here from Australia calls me, I'm incented to help him out? And Bill Green got visibly upset and got up out of his chair and he said, I never want to hear that question again from anybody in this room. If there's ever a conflict between the incentive system and doing the right thing, you do the right thing first and fix the incentive system later. Am I clear? Well, 40 people in that room got very clear, at least for that day. I mean, there's visible, demonstrable examples of emotion behind a very clear point that he made. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very uh, legitimate form of scaling. Is it limited? Mm -hmm. Sure. There's only so many hours in the day. You're right. But I, you know, substituting... Uh, policies and metrics and, and behavioral uh, uh, solutions. I think you lose a lot in the translation when you do that. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. And storytelling is a great way to yeah. to also align um, what you really want to convey in a good. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. 
So what have you seen in your in your career focusing on this very topic? Are, are companies and, and specifically sales organizations getting better at this or worse? Or is it just... Um, I, I, I don't have data to support this. It's more yeah. of a gut feel. I would say if anything, they're maybe getting a little bit worse. Yeah. Uh, there are pockets. I, when, when we set out to do it, we did a survey based on the trust equation. Yeah. And one of... of um, 70,000 people, it's now over 200,000, but we, we took a data analysis when we hit 70,000. One of the differences I expected to see was by industry. For example, I expected to find investment mm -hmm. banker very low on Trestle. Yeah. That's not the case. Uh, the difference between industries were very small. The difference within industries was very big. And just anecdotally, I know working at, at companies, I work with big four clients, I work with consulting firms, law firms, yeah. Um, uh, Accenture, that kind of thing. Um, and and within an organization, there's a huge uh, variation, um, partly at the in individual level, often at a team level, but across companies and, and industries, not not all that much. Hmm. So I, and I think that we, we touched on this before, the prevailing trends in management are to be analytical, to focus right. on processes, on competency modeling. Mm -hmm. And to drive things by dashboards and metrics, and and again, that works with some of trust. It works for all the institutional trust issues. It doesn't work for creating deeper, authentic human connection. The very kind of thing that you that uh, uh, Mr. Cannell talked about. I mean, striking him and George Kohlreiser, the other one that I read. Those guys yeah. talk about ninety percent, ninety nine percent success rate, and they're yeah. dealing with hopped up homicidal maniacs on drugs with guns and knives. Yeah, you that's know, pretty that's ninety nine percent. And you would think people in the sales world would want to say, "My God, my numbers are nowhere near that," and they're yeah. doing, you know, with both hands tied behind their back, so to speak. I should listen to what they have to say. Well, he was very clear, wasn't he? He said, yes. you form an authentic connection with the person in front of you, devoted to understanding who they are without judgment, you know, and without provocation. And you redefine the problem in ways that, that uh, you can find alternative solutions together. And it works. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think there is value and promise in this as well, if you look at it from the perspective that you're not the market leader. Because right. I think for the market leader in a business scenario, and you're the salesperson selling the big brand product, you yep. might get some reliability to rub off on you because of the big brand. And it, it, it kind of lowers the a per perceived risk, I would say, for the yeah. buyer. Yeah. Uh, but if you're the smaller brand or the smaller company yes. that is up against that, you can then focus more on getting the intimacy right and, and lowering your self-orientation to really beat um, the big gorilla in the, in, in the space if they're perceived to be more self-oriented and less. Yeah, well, yes and. Um, yes, that's that's true. You know, the phrase, nobody got fired for hiring IBM. Uh -huh. And you're sure. But but I think it's more useful to look at that relationship in a time basis than an either-or basis. So, for example, mm -hmm. I've found <clears throat> it's generally best to lead with, with, with the rational components. Lead with your credentials. Lead with your reputation. Lead with your your degrees and your white papers and your process and your website. Mm -hmm. Then you get a meeting. And once you're in the meeting, throw the rest away. It's like right. getting a, the, the purpose of a resume is to get you a job interview. Once you've gotten the interview, throw the resume away. That's done. Don't mm -hmm. keep repeating it. 
at that point, whether you're a big company market leader or not, is when you need to start forming those relationships. So I think having the reputation will get you in the door, but it won't get you the sale, no matter what your market position is. People are still not going to commit, you know, a half a million dollars uh, to somebody that they think, yeah, I don't know about this guy, right? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And another thing that uh, when you when we're talking about this, we we oftentimes then create these relationships. We create trust, hopefully, yep. if we're doing a good job, yeah, uh, with a person working for a company, and that company then ends up buying our services or our product, right. and then that person leaves, yes, and is no longer at that company. Right. And, and and maybe because they now leave, they're no longer in the CRM system and they sort of are forgotten by the company and maybe even by the salesperson because they right. can't make any more money on that person, they think. Right. right. Although they should really follow that relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, if you fail to do that, it was never real or authentic in the first place. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, if the person goes to an entirely new industry and geography and you have nothing doing there, then maybe, you, you know, you lose track with them. Maybe right. one, three years you send them an email. Yeah. But anything short of that, I mean, my God, if they're going to stay in the same industry, which they usually do, you should yeah. be staying in touch with them. It's, uh, yeah. it's viewed as inauthentic for you not to do so. Yes. But I think that a lot of business is being missed. Yeah, I agree. Taking care of the 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 individual relationships and, and just staring at the the, the company card right the system. yeah totally agree you know related to that is there's this bias these days i find in um uh you know let's get a thousand leads and send out something to all of them you're far yeah. better off with a hundred leads or ten and really diving deeply and establishing relationships that is a more effective form of selling not to mention which you don't drag your name through the you know the mindless digital um bulletin board approach to marketing with 990 other firms yeah yeah i see a lot of that going on the last oh, couple yeah. of years maybe three four years there's been a lot of spamming going on under the name of i don't know engagement i think uh, whatever name it is spamming i couldn't agree with you more and it's crept heavily into linkedin linkedin used yeah. to be immune to that now it's not yeah. anymore I get spammed yeah. all the time. I'm sure you do too. And and I think it rubs off negatively on the entire profession because Absolutely. it adds to the self-orientation perception. Right, right. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, so any, I'm, I'm, I'm still on the topic of risk in my head. Um, yeah. And I think risk is under <laughs> underestimated in, in selling. Um, yeah, I agree. I two, two thoughts on risk. One from the, the, um, you know, most most uh, the, the most effective and fastest way to take a risk is to um, is to go through the emotional side, in particular intimacy. Uh, okay. I forget. I think it was back in the Roosevelt administration. One of his uh, uh, deputies had uh, became famous for saying, "The fastest way to make a man trustworthy is to trust him." Right. In other words, you take the risk and trust the other person, and they naturally reciprocate. Robert Cialdini writes very clearly about yeah. uh, the reciprocity, mm -hmm. and it absolutely yeah. works with trust. So that's one. Figure out a way to take the risk. And, and, yeah. and the, the usual one is for you to take some emotional risk about yourself, share something about yourself, uh, have the courage to put yourself out there on yeah. an emotional level. Now, you can do that. Even on the on the rational level, uh, there's a, a concept that I call bring a risky gift. 
okay. which operate purely on the cognitive level. And it says when you're approaching a new potential client, instead of attaching the your, your best white paper, which is bulletproof and heavily researched and so forth, yeah. but there's no risk in that. It's like, here's our latest and greatest white paper. Well, you know, maybe I'll be interested in it, maybe not. What would be much more interesting is if you were to go one level deeper and say to this company, you know, do a little bit of research and say, listen, I'm not sure about this. We haven't researched it in great depth, but we have taken a look at a few things here. And, you know, I could be wrong, but it seems to me possible that this situation is the case for you. Is that true? Hmm. Now, there's only two answers to that, and they're both good. The first one is when the client says, yeah, wow, it's a huge issue for us. Anything you have, we'd love to talk about. Yeah. The other one's actually even better. That's when they say, aha, everybody thinks that's the issue, but it's not. It's really this. <laughs> In which yeah. case you say, oh, my God, the minute you said that, I realized how right you are. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's brilliant. Yeah. And and it works just because you are being humble and yes. saying, I could be wrong here, but I'm not afraid to throw out a reasonable hypothesis. Now, two things. Number one, it has to be intelligent and reasonable. It doesn't yeah. have to be right, but it's got to be intelligent and reasonable. And number two, yeah. it has to be risky. You mm -hmm. have to risk being wrong. Right. And then it works. Yeah, and I guess the the uh, challenging part in in that uh, concept is that you actually have to think. Yeah, that's you right. You have to do some research, and you have to that's connect right. the dots, and you have to think before you send that email, and and that's, that's right. hard. <laughs> you know, I remember years ago, uh, Bill Bain, the head of the founder and original head of Bain and Company Consulting. Yeah. Uh, they had a fascinating approach to new client development, uh, total opposite of what's going on today. They would research a firm for several weeks and mm -hmm. he would then call up the CEO mm -hmm. and say, listen, we have looked at your business. We've identified 42 different projects, which in aggregate would raise your stock price by 80%, you know, and, and your bottom line by 40% and your capitalization would double, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough people and enough time, and you probably don't have enough money to do all of those 42. So what I'd like to do is schedule a full day meeting in your boardroom, and let's narrow it down to 20 projects that we can do for you. What do you say? Well, that, had, I mean, that's pretty gutsy, right? That's setting the bar pretty high, yeah. That's setting the bar pretty high, but you know, they got uh, somewhere around half, you know, some CEO said, oh, excuse me, you're, you're confusing your role with mine. I'm the boss here, go away. <laughs> But as many said, hey, if even a, a tenth of what you say is true, yeah. sure, come in and let's talk, right? Nothing wrong I like with that. The confidence. I like the confidence in that approach. A huge confidence, yes. Today, the emails are more like, it seems like you're in this industry and we have helped this and that <laughs> company. Let's you're see. lucky if they even narrow it down to industry. Yeah. <laughs> and book a, a time in my calendar here. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And, and uh, some industries are worse than others. I think the VC and the private equity industry is really bad. I mean, they hmm. they really just go with a, 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 a junior person reaching out with a template. And even yeah. if you take the call, they have a template, yeah, uh, which is templated. And it's just you just feel like what what's going on? I here? find it also a lot in, in um, um, you know, financial advisors. I got one the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, because my firm's name, Trusted Advisor Associates. Well, some people think that must be an investment management firm. So this guy right. sends one saying, what kind of clients do you use? How much funds do you manage? You know, and by the way, could, you know, could we schedule a call? I mm -hmm. wrote back and said, I'm not a financial planner. 
He said, what do you do? I said, you could look on my website, but I will summarize it for you. I do, yeah. you know, training to help people trust their advisors. He came back and he said, oh, that's great. I can help you with that. Well, all credibility is gone at that point, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you say, we, we need to help people, but we need to help people with the right things <laughs> and be credible. <laughs> that's right. Um, so I have a question which... Um, you probably already answered, but maybe it'll trigger some other ideas. And the book sure. uh, that I wrote and the name of this show is Stop Killing Deals. Yeah, which I have um, to buy, by the way. I love the, I love the I'll definitely I'll send it to you right away. And uh, the uh, question I have for you is like, what what are the main mistakes that you see is made in, in, when you're, if you're sort of getting into this as a corporation, like we really want to make sure we now establish trust with our best accounts and yeah. with the new accounts we look going after what 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 do they do wrong and you've touched upon some of these things already yeah it's worth it's worth reviewing though i would say the biggest thing um well i don't know biggest uh, two or three things number one yeah. overemphasizing the rational components of trust overly emphasizing the credibility the credentials the competence right. the reliability the track record the references and underemphasizing the emotional aspect of trust so that would certainly be one Mm -hmm. Related to that, um, again, most of the people that I work with, and most people in business, um, the, the biggest single cause of, of um, missed opportunities in trust is our urge to solve problems as fast as possible. The, uh, okay. the, the tendency to jump ahead to problem solving before yes. you have gone through the natural human process of seeking to understand the other person. No, I'm, I'm not the only person to say this. Uh, you know, there's there's some good literature out there, but it basically says, shut up, you know, sit back and listen to what this person has to tell you. Uh, yeah. People imagine the case. I, I pictured my daughter a couple of years ago. I had her first child, my first grandchild. Well, imagine the, the, the boy, his name is Garrett, cute little kid. Imagine poor Garrett at three weeks old suddenly has some kind of physical problem and he's colicky and he's got a temperature and he's crying all the time. Imagine you're my daughter, a first time mother. You're freaking out. You know, you call up the pediatrician. Well, imagine you go into the pediatrician's office and the pediatrician says, oh, yeah, we see this all the time. Take these two pills, rub this on the kid. Call me next week. You know, check in. Bye. No like way. they usually do, though. <laughs> well, too, too many. Most pediatricians are a little better than that. Yeah, no, yeah, pediatricians might. Be what, what they should do, of course, is, oh, my gosh, that's got to be terrible. Tell me what happens. What happens when you do this? Ooh, how long has this been going on? The reason is people come to you because of credentials. The reason my daughter would go to a pediatrician is because she selected somebody she thinks is the best qualified. Yeah. That does not mean that she's automatically going to take their advice. Mm -hmm. Not until that pediatrician makes her feel that she's unique, that he has listened to and understood her issues. And we're right back to the hostage thing. You have to hone in on that person, make sure that mm -hmm. they feel understood. The point of listening is to make the other person feel understood. Once they feel understood, they naturally reciprocate and become yeah. willing to listen to what you have to say. So that urge to, and we've all been raised this way since second grade, me, 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 teacher, I got the answer. And the teacher calls on you and, you know, good for you, Johnny, you got the right answer. You get the blue ribbon, you get the gold star. No, maybe that works in second grade. It does not work in business. People want to be uh, understood. So I think that's a, another big one. And it's, maybe we stop there. Those are two. Yeah. I mean, those are big and it's easy to say, 
people want to be heard and understood and you say oh, of course they want but but what do you actually do to get there is, is right. uh, something I, I i think we sometimes shy away from it we, i was talking the other day about empathy with a person yeah. and and we talked about this how hard it can sometimes be to show empathy yeah uh, and why that is and and one of the reasons i felt at least was a big one a big takeaway for me is that sometimes you don't want to make things worse like yeah. if so, if someone's near um, uh, someone passed away for instance and you're not very close to them yeah you can be hesitant to because you don't know what to say how should i say it maybe i make right. it worse and and, and she had uh, experience with that and she said well you can't make it worse like, <laughs> you're not going to make it worse She's than someone dying. <laughs> yeah, it's already happened. It's not going to get any worse. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I hear that a lot too. And I hear it especially from big four accounting firms. They say, well, we don't want to be unprofessional or insult uh -huh. the person, whatever. And I say, look, I'm talking to a bunch of accountants here and you guys are worried about being too emotional. Come on. <laughs> that is not your problem. You know, yeah. you need to yeah. take more of those risks. You need to reach out there. And there's some things you can say, you know, listen, I may be wrong about this or at the risk of delving into personal, yeah. you, can, you can say it in respectful ways. I get, I mean, I noticed that uh, uh, your hostage guy used language like uh, I get the impression that instead of you right. are, and he's absolutely exactly. right. There are ways yeah. to say it, but the, but the problem is you have to say it. Yep. People don't know that you empathize until and unless you struggle to find out ways to show that you empathize. Yeah, and I think also the the fear of, of of sounding or appearing stupid or unprofessional, right, uh, is a big one. And, and it is a big one. And taking that risk, as you say, I might be wrong, right? Uh, but I, what I heard was, or what I've seen with other clients, is yeah. this: could that relate? So I think that's a very good takeaway. Like, be expose yourself a bit. It's it's okay not to be always right. In fact, if you claim you're always right, nobody's going to believe you. It's no, then you're not trustworthy at all. Right. <laughs> okay, this has been beautiful. Uh, we're getting at, uh, to the end of the the, the time here, so uh, I'm sure people will get very intrigued and would want to uh, know more about you and uh, sure. your, your book and your equation and all of that. How would they go about to? Oh, the easiest thing is the website is trustedadvisor.com, and it's spelled with an O-R at the end, trustedadvisor, one word, dot com, and everything else is there. Uh, by the way, I would mention, we do have a, a, a self-assessment test version of the trust equation. It's called the trust quotient, or the TQ, like IQ, EQ, yeah. and people can access that for free. It's at the upper right-hand corner of the main page of the website, trustedadvisor.com, so you can get some instant gratification going there. Yeah, that's great. We'll also add that as a uh, oh, great. as an attachment to this uh, to this webinar, so people great. can click on that and go there directly. Super. So again, uh, thanks a lot. Oh, uh, my really pleasure. Thank you. It's been a, been a lot of fun. And I'm sure all the uh, listeners and viewers will get a lot of uh, a lot out of this episode. Awesome. <laughs>